Business in the Okanagan Matters. This is Law Talk with lawyers Clay Williams and Tanvir Gill from FH&P Lawyers, LLP. They talk business and take your questions at podcast at fhplawyers.com. Now, here's Clay Williams. Welcome to another edition of FHNP's Law Talk, where we talk about various uh, things with different interesting people that impact the practice of law. And I'm Clay Williams. I'm a partner here at FHNP Lawyers, and with me is Tanvir Gill. Tanvir, how are you doing? Good. Hi, Clay. How are you? You know, I'm always doing well. It's hard to focus when it's so nice out. Yeah, we're looking outside. <laughs> it's uh, 35 degrees and it's sunny. It's yeah. gorgeous. And here we are inside. I have a beach blanket in my car that I see when I get to work and I get back in my car. I just want to go lay on the beach. One of these days. <laughs> one of these days you could lay on the beach. But uh, So, hey, with us today is Lisa Hutchinson. Lisa is a trademark agent. She's a lawyer, too, actually. But mm-hmm. uh, So she's at from 2020 Law Group. And uh, so she's the person that we work with when our clients need a trademark done. Yeah. So, so well, welcome, Lisa. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. You know, you're a lawyer and a trademark agent. So what the heck... Uh, Uh, What do you have to do to be a trademark agent? For sure. So at the time that I became a trademark agent, the requirements were that you had to work with a trademark agent for two years, and then you could apply to write the trademark agent examination, which is a six-hour examination that at the time was administered by the Canadian Intellectual Property Office, which is the government agency that oversees and maintains the trademark register and trademark matters. And so I refer to them as CEPO, which is their acronym. Um, so it's a six hour written examination. They hold held it once a year at the time. Um, two sections, you had to pass the first section in order for them to even mark the second section. And the year that I wrote the trademark agent exam, there was a 26% pass rate. So it's not an exam that is designed to test your practical knowledge. It is one of those tests that is you have to write the exact right word to score the points to pass the test. So I did pass it the first year that I wrote, which is pretty awesome. And you then can apply to put get your name on the register of trademark agents. And that was sort of a, I don't know, two and a half, three year journey to get to become a trademark agent. To bring it back to how I met Lisa, we, so when we have clients that, you know, are doing business, operating whatever business they're running, um, sometimes we need to have a name. And so I had a client that needed a federal name because she was hoping to sell products, not just in BC, but also in Toronto, um, Manitoba, all over Canada, um, hopefully one day in the States. But for now, it's just something that she's looking to do all over Canada. So that's how I found you, Lisa, because we have other lawyers in the firm here who um, come to you to help them secure trademarks for their clients. That's right. And it's an interesting point because a lot of people will, um, they, there's this belief out there that a federal incorporation, the name that you um, reserve and register with a federal incorporation gives you protection with respect to that name across Canada. And while it's true that it can give you some limited protection in the sense that the federal corporate registry ought not to register a name that is too similar to that, it doesn't really have a whole lot of bearing on on trademarks and on the marks that you use to distinguish your wares. It doesn't really have a whole lot to do with brand protection. So it is a kind of a common misconception, so to speak, that 
registering a federal name is all you have to do to protect your company's brand or your company's name. Yeah. So, so what is a trademark then? So a trademark is a word or a design um, or a taste, actually. You can trademark a taste. I don't get into that um, area myself, but there's lawyers. How, how could you trademark a taste? Oh, I know! <laughs> you have to submit taste samples. Is, is, <laughs> right. is there like some kind of a taste registry or something? That's a, that's a curious concept for me. It's a little bit wild, but packaging. So essentially, it's, it's a thing that distinguishes your goods or your service from those of another. So a very easy way to understand it is, you know, your business name is often a trademark or is likely a trademark. Um, A really good example of packaging is like the very distinctive shape of the Coke bottle. That's a trademark for them. Um, You know, a design, your, your logo, that's, that can be a trademark. So usually the ones that I'm helping clients with are um, word marks. So the name of their company, the name of a product, the name of their brand, um, and logos, so design mark. So the design, that's interesting though, that you can also trademark the, the, like the shape of a bottle or something like that. Like I would think that would might be a different type of intellectual property. Then it is crosses there some over. interaction between like say that and a patent or something? Yeah, so there's definitely crossover. Industrial um, design is one of those elements. There's really four types of intellectual property in Canada. There's trademarks, patents, copyright and industrial design so there can definitely be overlap with all those things Um, with respect to design marks in particular there's a lot of overlap with copyright for example because someone authored the work of your logo and if you haven't secured the rights to that copyright it can cause trouble for you in using that logo as as a trademark but with respect to something like packaging yeah industrial design can have overlap there Um, If there's something very novel about the packaging, if there was something very unique about the packaging and the way that it works or um, in the way that it contains your product, I guess, um, certainly that you could look at patenting, patenting, (laughs) but um, it has to have that innovative piece in order to be under that patent area of law. Oh, interesting. So for the most part, I think, uh, Tanvir, like with my practice, I'm dealing with British Columbia companies. I think you are too. Yeah, generally. So so I think you mentioned, and, and same federally, if our client wants to incorporate using a name, the registrar is going to look at that name and make sure it's not too similar to another name that's being used, but it doesn't give any other name protection other than that, I guess, eh? Yeah, like it's not associated with any goods or services. And it, um, so again, that's a good question because the more that you use your trademark, even if you haven't taken the steps to register it, you do gain some common law protection to that trademark. So the registration of the name in the federal corporate registry isn't necessarily a thing that gives you any kind of trademark protection other than the limited protection that we talked about with a registrar not registering similar names. Although sometimes I'm, sometimes we see things that are pretty similar. Um, But through the use of your trademark in the marketplace, you do gain common law rights with respect to that trademark. And so common law rights are more limited than registered trademark rights. Common law rights give you the ability to prevent others from passing themselves off as you with respect to similar goods and services and a confusingly similar trademark. So through the use of that corporate name, you can develop some limited trademark protection 
taking the step of registering your trademark gives you Canada-wide protection to that trademark with respect to the associated goods and services. So I guess my question would be uh, for our clients and our listeners, what are some of the reasons that, that one would take that extra step? And I, you know, again, you know, we come from a kind of a mid-sized city. I think most of our clients will get a name together and just start usually incorporate and start doing business. Uh, at what point would, would you suggest that they consider trademarking? For sure. So it is a for small business, and especially if you're starting um, out, the expense can be kind of the deciding factor because it does cost some money to, to do that trademark um, registration process. As you use the trademark, you will build those common law rights. They are limited to the geographic region in which you make your mark known. So the more known, the more well known that you become, the more incentive there is to me that you actually take the step of registering that trademark because um so in the region in where you are if someone were to register their trademark they could prevent somebody from in nova scotia from being able to use a confusingly similar mark and uh bank on the goodwill that your client has has been working so hard to build in their city um and it allows them to again just really keep all that goodwill for themselves so the idea of when I'm always going to say, like, it's a really good idea to do as soon as you possibly can, not only does it give you Canada-wide protection, it gives you access to additional remedies, um, including trademark infringement under the Trademark Act. Um, it also gives you a piece of intellectual property that can be assigned and a value can be attributed to that. And, you know, if you were going to sell your business, that becomes additional value in terms of an asset that you have to sell. I had that on my list actually to talk about. I think that's a that's a really good point because when you know when when Tanvir and I are are purchasing or selling companies for our clients, that's one of the the things that we always ask for is uh, what intellectual property comes with it. And usually, for the most part, it's nothing. You yeah. know, almost, but uh, yeah, you know, the- I definitely had a client that was looking to buy a business in Kelowna. And when we went to do the search, there was a, another company with the same exact name, but their sign almost looked similar. And the other company actually had it like trademarked. So that was a deciding factor for this client. He didn't go forward with the purchase because it was just way too similar. And his, his issue was, what if this company comes in from Ontario and starts business here? I don't have a trademark. I'm just hoping that they don't come here. Yeah, or if they've got a trademark, I guess they get all those uh, that additional protection yeah. if they wanted to make an issue of it uh, too, eh? Yeah. So. Worst case scenario, you would be slapped with an infringement claim that you would have to deal with. Um, depending on the timing, again, if the business was using the trademark before the other person's trademark was registered, there's different kinds of ways you can solve some of those problems with respect to um, a priority claim. But again, it's very expensive to go through those battles. There's not a lot of certainty because it really depends how the facts end up unfolding. Sometimes you have to, you know, take these things through court or through different um, administrative processes through the government, uh, through the trademarks office. And that brings uncertainty with respect to the outcome. So, you know, it can be very, very expensive and it can be lengthy to fight some of those battles. So it's, it's important definitely to do all those checks and to protect your own business with the brands and the trademarks that you spend so much time and effort developing so definitely 
Something that I found really interesting when I first talked to you about trademarking for my client was the process. So even if we had submitted today, it could take up to two years, I think you had said, sitting in queue until your application is finally done or finalized, proofed. Well, well, actually, that's a good point. What, what is the process, I guess, you know, and, and how long does it take? So here, the first thing that we'll do for clients is do a more comprehensive search of the trademarks register to make sure that there's no existing registrations that would provide a bar to registration for their marks. And that allows them to um, make different choices on their end if they're still in the process of developing some of their branding uh, to make sure that it's unique and distinctive enough to be very successful on that um, registration Sorry, process. Can just stop you there? I think that's a publicly searchable uh, registry too. Like anybody can go in and search that. Is that right? Oh, 100%. There's a link on the CIPO's website that give, lets you do some searching on, of the trademarks register. Um, it's not sophisticated search tools. So it doesn't let you do more high level Boolean searching, which again, when you're getting started, and you're just kind of trying to suss out what's out there. Um, it is a really good tool. And I'll typically have clients do that first before they hire me to do anything, um, especially if they're still developing their branding. It is a really good tool to help you steer in the right direction in that case. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. So you do a more in depth search and, uh, and what happens after that? Yeah, so I have subscription software that allows me to do more sophisticated um, searching just to really suss out um, if there's going to be a problem for clients on the register. If we if the search comes back and it looks good, then and the client wants to proceed to register, we will put together an application, get that submitted to SIPO, and then it will sit for two to three years, depending on how the goods and services are listed. Those are their current turnaround times. Those times are not good. They are pretty much unprecedented when it comes to SIPO. Two or three years? Correct. Before anyone at SIPO will look at it. Um, that timeline right now is a function of two, two different things, really. Um, one being the pandemic, where uh, all of the SIPO employees were essentially working from home. National applications, so Canadian applications, are still paper-based. And so that created a lot of backlog. It is mm -hmm. an issue. Another big reason was in 2019, um, the laws that uh, incorporated the Madrid Protocol, um, which is international applications, what came into force here in Canada. And so we had changes to the Trademarks Act that were the biggest changes that we've seen in about 50 years. It was a very big change. Um, and CIPO had to implement all of that. And one of the biggest changes was that through CIPO, now we can talk to the World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO, to um, do, I know, to do applications anywhere in uh, one of the uh, treaty nations. So you can do, you can access international trademark applications through SIPO because it can now talk to WIPO. And that's a pretty big deal, but it's a very big change. And it has created some of this backlog as CIPO has had to. I like all these acronyms. Yeah, CIPO, so, WIPO. CIPO talking to WIPO. <laughs> CIPO's talking to WIPO. <laughs> but why do I care? So I want to get a trademark of my, the name and uh, my logo. Do I have to make sure it's not being used internationally now? Or, or is that something that you just can do? Trademarks will be jurisdictional. So the when we apply for a trademark in Canada, you really just have to be worried about the use in Canada if you're looking to register it in Canada. Now that's, you know, there's always going to be some nuance there because if you have a famous brand somewhere like the United States is a good example because again, culturally and in proximity, we're very close to each other. You still have to be careful about uh, whether or not a mark down there 
could establish any kind of common law rights here in Canada through use that would allow them to claim a priority to that trademark. If it's unregistered, of course, you know, it's a bit of a nuanced conversation. It would have to be sort of more of a famous mark, but that's, it is a consideration. So it's not 100% black and white, but more or less, it is about can, can the Canadian jurisdiction. So if a client's had the two to three year long wait, they've done the examination, what's next after that? So when an application is examined, the Canadian Intellectual Property Office, so CIPO, may have um, some feedback with respect to that application. They may take the stand that it is confusingly similar to something that's on the registrar, um, which we would argue against. They may wish to see the goods and services expressed in a little bit of a different way, which is very common these days because one of the uh, other changes that was made is that now all of our goods and services have to be classified according to the NICE classification system that came out of NICE, France. They could have some feedback. They may want to see a few changes to the application. All of that is fairly benign. Typically, they're things that we can answer and argue against and get the application to proceed. Sometimes there's no feedback from SIPO, in which case it goes straight to approval. Once the application is approved, it gets advertised in the Trademarks Gazette. That um, advertisement happens for two months. And during that period of time, um, if there's somebody out there who feels that they have a, a superior claim to that trademark, they can actually oppose your trademark application. And if there's an opposition, that's a separate procedure. It's administrative and there's different steps to take to resolve that opposition. If it's resolved, it would go forward to registration. And if there's no opposition, it would also just go forward to registration. So there's quite a few steps. Um, the longest wait is just waiting for that examination. Um, or if there's an opposition, that can take quite a while to resolve. That's more unusual. Usually applications will just go straight through to registration. So what if, uh, so I, I go through and trademark my name and my logo and then just stop using it. So say I'm, um, I don't know, I, I go bankrupt and I, or, or we change things. Uh, is that out there forever? Or, or uh, like, do you, do you have to show proof that you're continuing to use it? Wait, don't, I think I remember this. Don't you have to prove it every two years? So what happens is that your trademark is good for essentially 10 years. So every 10 years you have to uh -huh. renew it. So if you don't renew it, it'll just kind of, it'll still show up on the register, but it will not be an active trademark. It'll be um, expunged um, or abandoned. So that's one piece of it. Another piece is that under Section 45 of the Trademarks Act, any interested party can kind of attack your trademark if they think that you're not using it, if they want to claim something that's confusingly similar, for example. And they do so by writing to the registrar that they would like the registrar to send you a Section 45 notice, which requires you to prove use of your trademark. That's what it was. Yeah, you can oh, force so somebody to prove it. And, and, and how do you do that? Just I, by showing that you're still in business? Or do you have to show like a picture of your, your van with a name on it or something? Like how, how do you do that? Yeah, so you so the two years comes in because so you're right to remember that because the, what happens is you'll get the notice and then you have to from the date you the notice is issued go back in time um, it's actually three years I think for the previous three years um, and show your use during that period of time so use has a legal meaning and there's different tests for use depending on whether it's goods or services and you have to show evidence by way of an affidavit or statutory declaration, we usually just do an affidavit, 
And that has to be submitted back to SIBO. Uh, and then there's, again, just an administrative process to go through um, the Section 45 proceedings. And uh, the requesting party, the person, the party that has requested this be initiated against you, has a chance to submit arguments about why your evidence is insufficient and bring in the law and you have a chance to respond to that. So again, it is um, quite a process to go through. It's a lot of work. It can be kind of expensive depending on how things shake out. And it's one of the reasons that after registration, one of the recommendations that we make to clients is to create and maintain a trademark use portfolio for themselves to protect themselves in that case that they are ever hit with a Section 45 notice so that they easily can just go to their file pull out their pictures, examples of where that logo has been used, and uh, easily get that into an affidavit. Um, use for goods is typically going to be when the trademark is affixed to the good at the time that it passes to the consumer. So, um, you know, if it's imprinted on the good itself, that's, of course, really good use. If it's on a label attached to clothing, for example, that can be good use. Um, if it's, uh, you know, printed on the good itself, that's usually the best. But there can be other supplementary evidence if it's on invoices that are passed to clients at the time that um, goods are passed to the clients that can also be used. Um, for services, typically, it's going to be when the trademark is used in association with advertising the services uh, as being available and when those services are actually available to be tendered to the to the consumers. So a little bit different between goods and services. It can be pretty nuanced. Again, a lot of law about what use is good use and what isn't so depends on the circumstances typical lawyer response but it's uh it's true rock on lisa <laughs> it's great having you thank, thank you very you. much thank you fhmp lawyers are rooted in community and ready to help send your business law questions to podcast at fhplawyers.com